0: The U.S. government has determined that President-elect Joe Biden is a, quote, apparent winner of the election. President-elect Joe Biden is announcing some several key cabinet picks. America is back, ready to lead the world, not retreat from it.
1: Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. Today was the first full day of the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, after Monday night's ascertainment by the General Services Administration that Joe Biden was the likely next president. President Donald Trump still has not conceded, but the official apparatus linking his government to the Biden team is now up and running. Even before that announcement by GSA Administrator Emily Murphy Biden announced an array of his cabinet picks that will be in charge of the national security and foreign affairs agenda. And this afternoon, the president elect gathered some of them in Wilmington, Delaware for their official coming out, including Antony Blinken to be Secretary of State and Alejandro Mayorkas to be Homeland Security Secretary. More picks will be unveiled in the coming days, including former Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary. She would be the first woman Treasury Secretary ever. Meanwhile, there are changes afoot in Congress as well. We won't know who is in the majority in the Senate until runoffs in Georgia on January 5th, but we do know this. After coming under withering criticism for how she handled being the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, especially during the confirmation process for Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court this year, Dianne Feinstein will relinquish that role, opening up the position to someone who can take a different approach And what could be an eventful time in the next Congress? CQ Roll Call senior writer Todd Ruger and I discuss this move. Todd, let's talk a little bit about the transition at the Senate Judiciary Committee, where Dianne Feinstein will no longer uh, be serving as the top Democrat, regardless of who is in the majority in the next Congress.
2: Uh, Yeah, it was. um, uh, This is kind of an interesting situation because she had left the chairmanship or the top Democrat at the Intelligence Committee to take over the top Democrat role on the Senate Judiciary Committee when uh, President Trump started his first for his term in office four years ago. And um, it's been mostly defense since then, um, with Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans focusing a lot on judicial nominations and cranking them through. And so that was ground zero, including three really contentious Supreme Court confirmation fights. First, Neil Gorsuch, uh, who took what what Democrats considered to be the stolen seat from Merrick Garland, which was Obama's nominee. And then Brett Kavanaugh, which was this huge explosion about the allegations uh, of uh, a decades-old sexual um, attack that he then denied. And then, thirdly, uh, Amy Coney Barrett that just happened. Uh, and Democrats were outraged at the process uh, that Republicans put forward, uh, and then at the end of that, you had uh, Dianne Feinstein say to Chairman Lindsey Graham, uh, "This was one of the best run uh, confirmation hearings we've we've seen. Uh, she's seen in her time. Uh, she's been there almost uh, twenty years, thirty years, yeah." And um, and uh, then gave him a hug, and that really started a lot of grassroots opposition to her. Running this because there's a lot of outrage at Senate Republicans on the Democratic uh, liberal side from advocacy groups and the like, and uh, here she was showing a softer side of the Senate uh, that you know traditionally has done things like that where they reach across the aisle and and uh, aren't at each other's throats constantly.
1: Yeah, and you know to be like clear, I mean it wasn't just that she was um you know kind of saying oh you know this has been a real collegial process i mean the the barrett nomination which was hustled through uh, with you know, within a week of election day, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, um, you know, was you know, usually something we don't see. We don't see a Senate you know confirmation of a Supreme Court justice so cl- close to the uh, election. And then, as you mentioned, the, the Garland seat. I mean, Garland would, had been nominated in February of 2016 uh, when Antonin Scalia died, and Senate Republicans held open that seat. So, for you know, the, there were real, um, there were huge complaints about. Like these two seats, you know, basically being stolen. You know, not just the Garland seat, but the Ginsburg seat, according to what Demo- how Democrats feel. And it wasn't just that she was being nice, but she didn't really put up much of a fight either.
2: Right. I mean, and and you know, the the odd part about the Senate is uh, now that the the fi- the filibuster is gone for Supreme Court justices, the rule that allowed the minority to block confirmation, even if there was a majority that wanted. To- to um, confirm somebody the ever since that there was nothing that Democrats could actually do to stop this this confirmation and but in their view the real outrage was if they if the Republicans stole that Merrick Garland seat in 2016 slash 2017 then they were incredibly hypocritical going back on exactly what they said for the reason that they blocked Merrick Garland uh, and they went Right, right against that in order to go forward with the Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah,
1: which was that they wanted to see what the voters said in the election. Right. And so, and so basically
2: you have Democrats are, are livid about that. And Feinstein was not, uh, I don't think, adequately expressing that emotion uh, for, for those uh, on, on the, the Democratic side. Um, and, and so now you've got, um, you know, it's, it's unclear whether the Democrats will get um will we'll get a chance to run that committee or if they'll be on defense again if if Senate if the Republicans keep control of the Senate.
1: Right, and that'll depend on those two runoffs in Georgia um, and d- d- to see who will control the majority uh, in the 117th Congress. But already we're seeing speculation that it would be either uh, Richard Durbin, uh, the Democrat from Illinois, who's a senior member of the Judiciary Committee, and the the Senate uh, Democratic Whip, or Sheldon Whitehouse uh, from Rhode Island, both of whom uh, have shown up as sort of aggressive questioners uh, and, you know, spe- defensive specialists, if we were talking about uh, – uh, baseball or basketball, if you will.
2: Right. Um, so, so there's a little mystery there because uh, usually, if uh, you know, Durbin is the would be the highest-ranking person that has expressed interest in it, and he would usually be like, "Okay, well, he expressed an interest, so he'll probably get it." You know, almost 100. But in this particular case, he's also the whip, which is also another high-profile job and uh, time-consuming, and the Judiciary Committee. Um, if if uh, You know, no no matter regardless of of what who controls the Senate, you'll have uh, a centerpiece for judicial confirmation fights. You'll have gun control legislation would go through there. Immigration would go through there. Uh, Civil rights, voting rights. So it'll be a a time consuming post. Um, So the if if the Democrats decide that Durbin can't do either one of those uh, or both of those at the same time, then the next person on the list would be Sheldon Whitehouse. Um, And so you've got these two interesting characters. Uh, Durbin is sort of an even keeled, soft spoken Midwesterner who is, who is very solidly liberal. And in his statement saying that he wanted uh, to go for this top spot of the judiciary committee, he, he basically said, we need to be more aggressive in oversight and um, we need to unwind these things that have happened in the last four years. Uh, Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island um, is uh, you know, all, also pretty, pretty soft—not soft-spoken, but but even-keeled. But he really gets uh, riled up when he talks about the Supreme Court and the nation's courts. And um, you know, like during the last confirmation fight with Amy Coney Barrett, he used his time uh, in questioning to lay out his view of how the Supreme Court is skewed for conservatives and how the dark there's this dark money. Aspect that really goes along and and cha- and, and influences the court, and um, this is one of his big um, projects. And so you see a lot of uh, grassroots energy on the on the left still saying, "Well, maybe couldn't couldn't Durbin just leave it for White House because White House is the guy that we need to be really aggressive to um, to to make the Supreme Court uh, ba- change it back to what it was before Trump got involved and got three nominees onto it."
1: Well, it's going to be, certainly there's going to be some fights before we even get to the end of the year, uh, because there are still hearing nomination hearings. uh, But uh, we'll we'll be covering that and look forward to how this plays out and your reporting on it, Todd. All right. Yeah, thanks. Speaking of the next Congress, January will bring a lot of ceremonial rituals surrounding new members and a new legislative session. But thanks to the pandemic, we can expect things to play out very differently. Senior writer Lindsay McPherson has been reporting on what we could see come January. Every two years when we get a new Congress, the first day of the Congress, usually January 3rd, sometimes it's a, a day or two later, Uh, It is a relatively celebratory event. Everybody's pretty psyched to be there. Members of the House get sworn in uh, in the House chamber. Everybody's there. Family's there. Uh, It's a big, festive occasion. That's not going to happen for the opening of the 117th Congress. Uh, Lindsay McPherson, our senior staff writer covering House leadership, uh, has done some reporting about this, and we're going to talk to her a little bit about what she's found out about what to expect in these COVID times. Lindsay, hi.
0: Hi, Jason.
1: So uh, you you talked to Steny Hoyer, the House Majority Leader, about what kind of contingencies they're, they're trying to figure out for the the opening of the new Congress, because, um, you know, we we. We can't, you know. They they have made sure that to try to not have all members of the House in at the same time and on the usually on the swearing in day. It's not just the members; it's family members and staff, and it places just packed. And we just, it's probably not going to happen this year, right, or next year,
0: right? Certainly, like it's half the past. There's not going to be 435 members on the floor at one time. They've been trying to avoid that since the pandemic started back. You know, the lockdowns and stuff start back in March, and so they're going to try to do s- similar social distancing procedures to what they've been doing for House votes um, during the opening day. There are some kinks still being worked out, um, but the House Democratic leadership team has begun discussing this. Um, they haven't made any final decisions, but Hoyer did give me an indication of how some stuff might run. For example, the speaker vote, because that you know can be a recorded vote, can be done similar to how they've done recorded votes on legislation where groups of members who are in Washington go to the House floor in staggered groups. They go in, vote, then they're supposed to leave the floor. Some do linger, but for the most part, um, they're encouraged to leave the floor and that they can do that. And then for members who aren't in DC, they can vote by proxy um, as they have been giving another member their vote and that member goes to the floor and from the um, well will state, um, I'm voting as a proxy for so-and-so. That could work for the speaker vote. Um, He said for swearing in the members, which, you know, is a big deal when they're all usually on the floor together, that they can do it in groups. But the problem that that they haven't yet figured out is for members who aren't able to come in person because of health concerns, they've not been traveling to DC. Uh, Apparently the House parliamentarian has asked in the past um, about whether you can swear in members who aren't there in person and has ruled that they have to be there, that you can't do it via television or something. So they're still figuring out um, if there is any way to do that virtually or if those members will not be able to be sworn in until they can make it to D.C. in person. Um, And that could be interesting because there are some members who haven't been to Washington in months at all during the pandemic and have been taken advantage of proxy voting.
1: And and also, I mean, the you know the Constitution says that the new the the old Congress leaves right before noon on January third, and the new Congress starts right at that point. And this uh, this coming year in twenty twenty one, January third takes place on a Sunday. They usually don't do stuff, so we we don't know. Uh, you, when you, when you talk to the majority leader, he said that it, that he's never he doesn't remember ever being sworn in. Um, on, on a Sunday or on the weekend. So we, we may get some, we may not even know what the date is for a
0: little while, right? Right. The leaders of both chambers have been talking about um, to move the date, um, whether they would, and most likely they will, and when to do it and how to do it. One of the concerns is recess appointments in the Senate, if there's a lapse in um, the two sessions that the Senate Democrats would be concerned that Trump, while he's still in office, is in the remaining few days, could make some recess appointments and cause some trouble over there. So I think they're still working through that. Most likely, it'll be moved to January fourth or fifth, which is that Monday or Tuesday,
1: right? And then we have the counting of the electoral votes on January sixth. So they 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 probably need to get it done before then, uh, so that everybody can be in place uh, in case uh, you know something. Uh, something happens if somebody wants to object or there's some drama over the Electoral right. College vote.
0: Although Hoyer did say they could move the date of the counting of electoral votes as well. They, I mean, both moving the date of the opening of the Congress and that could be done by concurrent resolution passed in the House and Senate. Um, so I, they haven't really discussed moving that date. But I think if they move the date of the opening day back far enough, they might want to move the counting of electoral votes till after they have their opening festivities taken care of.
1: All right, well, I, I feel like uh, we'll probably find out a little bit more uh, in the coming weeks, but uh, it, it's 2020, right? So why would anything be normal? <laughs>
0: right. Well, and, and early 2021 is what we're talking about. It's not gonna be normal as well, so.
1: All right, thanks, Lindsay, and happy Thanksgiving.
0: Thanks, you too, Jason.
1: Finally, a word about the Biden transition efforts. Even before the GSA signed off on the official start of the transition, The president-elect's team showed it was doing its homework, announcing additions to the White House staff, and generally lowering the body politics' blood pressure by not responding to every presidential tweet or Rudy Giuliani conspiracy theory. Call it, dare to be dull, the return of no drama. Ever since Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president more than five years ago, politics, as Christopher Guest so eloquently put it in This Is Spinal Tap, has been turned up to 11 the drama, whether it is caused by good reason or is as manufactured as reality TV, feels like it has been nonstop. Whether one supported him or wanted to remove him from office, everybody can agree, President Trump just doesn't do dull. Joe Biden, for anyone who witnessed his approach to being a senator, vice president, and then presidential candidate, it's obvious he is taking a cue from President Barack Obama no drama, Obama. He's assembling a team of people with deep government experience and has let it be known he will let the experts exercise their expertise. Actual vetting, as much as will be needed for people who have previously held top jobs in government, have security clearances, and have been confirmed by the Senate previously, might stage a comeback. If this all sounds a bit dull, let's not forget, we're still in the middle of a pandemic That has killed more than a quarter of a million Americans. Millions of people are out of work. And Congress has not been able to do its most basic duty. Appropriating money to run the government on time for decades. There are a lot of challenges ahead. They will create their own drama. And Biden has signaled he wants to try addressing some of these challenges differently. Biden won the election decisively. He will face plenty of rough times, and he will likely have to fire someone. Something tells me he won't do it with a tweet. Dare to be dull. We're about to find out how it feels after a wild few years. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater's The Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening, and happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week.